Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kiev, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and commissioned. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, to empower believers everywhere to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. We value methods that are biblical, intentional, strategic, relational, reproducible, faith-driven, process-driven, prayer-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. We'd like to get to know you better, so leave us a message on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. If you have ideas for future topics or guest speakers, leave us a voicemail message at 214-377-1107. Thanks for joining our International Fellowship of Disciple Makers. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. And now, commercial break. Disciple Making Ministries would like to share some about our products and services. First, we'd like to share that we have a 12-week seminar entitled The Process and Principles of Disciple Making. This seminar will teach you the basics of starting a disciple making movement. We can teach this seminar either at your location or online. Afterwards, we are able to follow up with mentoring and coaching. Second, to strengthen your disciple-making movement, we offer online curriculum and resources in multiple languages. We are currently translating curriculum from English into Russian, but we envision expanding these resources into other languages. If you're interested in curriculum development or translations, then please let me know. Third, to help encourage one another in our disciple-making efforts, we offer a social networking platform on Facebook. Please search and join the group entitled Disciple Making Ministries. There, you can share encouragement, stories, prayers, lessons, resources, and ideas for expanding the kingdom of God through discipleship. Fourth and lastly, we offer product podcasts syndicated on platforms such as iTunes and Stitcher. In these podcasts, we discuss lessons that we have learned in making disciples. We envision eventually expanding these podcasts into a radio format with guest speakers and call-in capabilities. We also envision one day branching out into video platforms such as YouTube. So, to register for a seminar, to download our curriculum, or to join our fellowship, please visit our website, www.disciplemakingministries.org. And now, back to our program. Welcome back to Disciple Making Ministries podcast. This is episode number three. We're so glad you've joined us today. For a quick review of previous episodes, in episode number one, we asked the question, why Disciple Making Ministries? And we discovered that making disciples is something that was designed by the Father, modeled by the Son, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
and you cannot get three better reasons for adopting the same method to unlock your own ministry. In episode number two, we asked the question, well, what is disciple-making ministry? And we discovered that disciple-making is essentially a process of spiritual maturity. And the goal of this process is to move yourself and to move others towards fullness in Christ. Today, in episode number three, we'll ask a third question. What are some key values of disciple-making ministries? You know, ultimately, we prioritize our time, energy, and money according to the values that stem from the bottom of our hearts. By examining our relationships and the way we spend our time and energy and talents and resources, we can obtain a pretty good view of those values that we really have. For example, we may attend a church service and we may give mental assent to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. We may even be able to quote Matthew 28, 18-20, But how exactly are we spending our time, energy, resources, talents, and relationships to fulfill this great commission that Jesus has mandated? Well, today I'd like to introduce you to seven key values that we have here at Disciple Making Ministries. We believe that these seven key values are values that Jesus lived with and he acted with in his life and ministry. The first value that we're going to talk about today is being incarnational. You know, the word incarnational is commonly heard these days among many Christian denominations. Though the word may be common, the meaning and specific applications vary widely. A dictionary definition of the word incarnational may be something like this, being in the flesh. Now, those of you who enjoy Tex-Mex food may understand this root word, carne, because Tex-Mex food has a dish called chili con carne. And that comes from a Spanish phrase, which means chili with flesh, or rather chili with meat. Growing up in Texas, my family used to attend an annual chili cook-off competition. And once a year, people would come from all over the state to enter their particular style of chili in this contest. There were so many different kinds of chilies there. There, They had chili with meat, chili with beans, chili with special spices, but nobody there would give out their secret ingredients. Likewise today, there are many definitions of what it means to be incarnational. Some may define the word incarnational as being non-offensive to the culture surrounding you. But I don't think that's correct, because Jesus offended many people. We find the stories when he actually turned people away from his ministry. Jesus certainly offended the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders of his day. Now, others may define being incarnational as being service-oriented. Now, Jesus was certainly service-oriented, but he also went with a message, with the message of the kingdom of God. And he went with a purpose, a purpose of redemption of mankind. So I don't think you can define uh, being uh, incarnational as just being service-oriented. Now, others may define being incarnational as being attractional to those in the culture around you. 
We have many examples of that today in churches that are seeker-sensitive. They want to be attractional to the people around them in their culture. Now, people were certainly attracted to Jesus, to his miracles, to his uh, healings. But those miracles and healings didn't seem to be the main idea of his ministry. He was there to redeem people and bring them back into a right relationship with God. So, because of all this confusion around the word incarnational, I almost decided not to use it today in this episode. This word, incarnational, can be confusing and distracting and unprecise. But let me explain what I mean by incarnational. By incarnational, I mean God the Father sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, in human flesh to live with sinful man and to be the redeemer of sinful humanity. I define being incarnational as intentionally stepping out of your own environment into the world of others with a redemptive goal, having the same attitude of Jesus Christ who emptied himself, becoming the form of a bondservant. So, of course, uh, this value of being incarnational reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through eight, which reads like this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, a second key value of disciple-making ministries is being biblical. One of the main reasons that this world seems to be coming apart at the seams is, in my opinion, because people have removed the solid foundations of the Bible in their lives. Our postmodern societies of skepticism, subjectivism, and relativism have literally destroyed the foundation blocks of life. Disciple-Making Ministries believes that we need to go back to the foundation of the Word of God. You know, living in Kiev, Ukraine gives me a unique perspective on going back to a foundation. Over the past 16 years, I've observed many construction sites with 19-story apartment buildings going up, and I get to watch the process of building these huge apartment buildings. You would be surprised at how much time they spend just on the foundation. Sometimes they spend even months working on the ground preparation before they even start on the foundation. After that, they drill deep shafts into the ground and drive thick concrete pilings way down deep into the ground. It takes months of this work before they even begin to build on the structure above the ground. Just as builders have to work a lot on the foundation before they can build the structure, so too, I believe, we need to go back and build strong foundations in the Word of God. In John 1.1 it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I see that today many churches and ministries have strayed from the beginning, from those foundations in the Word of God. They've adopted methods and means of ministry that are not biblical at all. In my Bible, Jesus never emphasized building larger churches. Instead, he built up people. 
In my Bible, Jesus never emphasized seeker-sensitive services. In fact, he turned away many seekers who were not genuine in their hearts. In my Bible, Jesus never emphasized attractional entertainment worship styles. Instead, Jesus promoted worshiping in spirit and in truth. In my Bible, Jesus never emphasized special seminary degrees and trained staff. Instead, he worked with ordinary people in the context of everyday life. In my Bible, Jesus never emphasized authoritarian leadership. In fact, he came to serve, and he washed the disciples' feet. In my Bible, I see Jesus continually going back to the Word of God. Not one jot or tittle would pass from the Word of God until his will was done. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, what did he do? He went back to the Word of God. Let's read from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now this passage right here shows us clearly that Jesus valued the Bible. He always went back to the Word of God. When Satan was trying to twist the Scriptures, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to fight his battles. A third key value of disciple-making ministries is being relational. When you think about it, Jesus' entire ministry was relational. Jesus invited a small group of men to be his followers, to live with him. He took them wherever he went. They observed his behavior, his interactions with other people. They watched him perform miracles and healings. They listened to his teachings and his prayers, and they asked him questions. And he didn't teach them in a seminary. Instead, the classroom was the world of everyday life. Jesus uh, sent them on assignments to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He sent them to cast out demons like he had done. He poured his life into this small group of followers and trained them in the context of personal relationships. You know, Jesus did preach a few sermons that were more formal, but the context was always in personal relationship. You know, there's nothing more relational than living with a small group of people for a period of time. You may have gone camping with your family or with a small group of friends, and you may have been stuck in a dormitory room with another student with completely different interests than you. 
And there's nothing more personal and relational than being stuck in small living quarters with somebody else. It doesn't take long to discover the differences in personality traits and the faults that drive you crazy sometimes. <laughs> it's one thing to go on a camping trip for a week with a group, uh, but it's quite another thing to be stuck in a dormitory room for an entire year. And yet, it's still quite another thing to be stuck in small quarters with somebody for the rest of your life. So, you learn a lot from being in relational contexts. Jesus was a master at being relational. He saw right into the very depths of the heart of people. He saw their worldview, their values, their beliefs, their thoughts. It was amazing how he would interact with those around him. And another amazing thing about Jesus is that he was perfectly balanced in his compassion, his forgiveness, his love and generosity, yet at the same time being truthful and teaching others and correcting them and rebuking them and training them in righteousness. You know, I'm amazed at the story of the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26, we see a perfect example of Jesus' balance in his communication and how he could lead somebody from a point of distance from God to a point of having a personal relationship with God. Let me read this text, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, Well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I do not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem it is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now this is a perfect example of Jesus being 100% relational and also of Jesus having compassion and love while at the same time directing her towards truth and righteousness. It's amazing how he was able to do that. And this is the method that we too at Disciple Making Ministries want to follow. A fourth key value of Disciple Making Ministries is faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is a commitment to a relationship, either with God or with fellow human beings. Faithfulness involves a measure of loyalty and devotion and service. In reality, faithfulness is a reflection of God's own faithfulness. We read about God's faithfulness in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, where it states, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it reads, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, because God is perfectly loyal and consistent and true to his name and his character and his word, so we ought to reflect that same character. You know, last night I attended a small group home Bible study. And we have a small group of four guys who are reading through the Bible and sharing together. And last night we studied through Hebrews chapter 11. That's the famous chapter on faith. It was a blessing to me, personally, to read through the examples of these uh, Old Testament characters and saints who were faithful. They were not perfect by any means. They had their faults. Nevertheless, they were included in this list of faithful people because they maintained confidence in God's promises all the way to the end of their lives. Even though they died without receiving the promises, they were faithful men and women. And the Bible says that they receive far greater eternal rewards for that faithfulness. You know, being faithful is having confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. We at Disciple Making Ministries are exercising faith right now in these podcasts. God has led us to this platform of being on the internet and sharing with you out there, and we believe that God is going to do a great and mighty work, even though we don't see the results right now. This step of faith and obedience unto the unseen reminds me of a story from the Bible in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5-13. through 13. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. 
Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done for you just as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Here at Disciple Making Ministries, we believe that faithfulness is a key value. We want to remain faithful to God. We want to remain believing to the very end, even if we don't see the results right now. For we are looking for a reward in heaven that is uh, reserved there, an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for us. And we would like you to be a part of that same inheritance. A fifth key value of disciple-making ministries is that of being a multiplier. Part of the reason that uh, disciple-making ministries has expanded out into the internet is because God convinced us of this very value and this principle. So we're seeking ways to be more effective to multiply our ministry in multiple locations around the world. I've had far too many years of experience in churches and in different ministries that have focused primarily on surviving or perhaps even adding a few people here and there at best. But uh, about a year ago, God convinced me that that's crazy. God really expects and wants us to be multipliers, to have multiple fruit, to reproduce, to have exciting lots of spiritual fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. No longer do I want to return to some boring ministry where the same people show up week after week and maybe one new person every month or five new people. No, I want to have more of an impact in this world. I want to impact the world for the kingdom of God. I want to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by having the maximum possible impact that I can. I believe that our God is a God of multiplication. He loves fruitfulness. He loves for us to reproduce the life of his son, Jesus Christ, into other people. I personally want to enter into the joy of my master on that day. This reminds me of the story from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, here, have, have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, if you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed... Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with some interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am absolutely convinced that our God is a God of multiplication. He wants us to go out there and be fruitful, to be spiritually fruitful out in this world. He wants us to bring him much glory. And it would be a sad thing for us to go and hide away the gifts and the resources and the talents that he has given us. We are so convinced of this value of needing to be a multiplier in the kingdom of God. A sixth value of disciple-making ministries is being transformational. You know, people attend churches for a variety of different reasons. Some are going there for tradition. They've always done it that way in their culture. Others go to church for religious purposes, thinking that if they just have more religion in their life, they'll be better. Some are going for family obligation reasons, like their, for example, their parents want them to go. Some go to church out of fear, thinking that if they don't go to church, they won't be saved. Some go to church for fellowship reasons. They need these relationships in their lives. And some go to church for entertainment purposes. Some are going to church for business purposes, to make contacts with other people. And some are going there for knowledge, to boost up their understanding of the Bible or some intellectual reasons like that. There can be a million different reasons why people attend a particular church. But the real question is, when the church service is over and they're going home, have their lives been transformed? Have they radically changed? Have they become more like Christ Have they given up things that hinder them from reaching the prize of the goal of the upward call in Jesus Christ? Being transformational is so key in ministry. If you're not transforming your life, if other lives are not being transformed, then why are we going through all the motions? 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 12.2 reminds us, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The entire point of this and other verses in the New Testament is that uh, Jesus and the apostles uh, are very interested in people being transformed, not just going to some service over and over Sunday after Sunday. If there's no spiritual transformation going on, then what's the point of all the activity? Let me read you a story from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law that Moses commanded us, we're supposed to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left all alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Again, we see in this passage that Jesus had great love and compassion and forgiveness for this woman, but he was also interested in the transformation of her life. He said, go and sin no more. You see, Jesus is interested in more than just activity on a particular Sunday. He's interested in life transformation, radical transformation, forgiveness that goes out and forgives others. We at Disciple Making Ministries value ministries that are transformational. Now, seventh and last on our list today of values that we hold here at Disciple Making Ministries is being reproducible. As we stated before in our show, we know that the Lord, our God, loves multiplication. He also loves reproducing. You know, in the physical world, there is power in being reproducible. Just consider the power of the things in the physical world that are reproducible. I'm thinking of plants that reproduce, animals, there's food products, there's products and services, transportation, infrastructure, factories, chain stores. When people gather together and figure out our process and then are able to reproduce it over and over, it just multiplies the power of the effect that comes from that. When you have a reproducible process, you don't have to redo the research. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. When you have a reproducible process, you can just follow already proven methods and receive assurance of already positive results. 
You can participate more freely and become involved in the process of something that is greater and bigger than yourself. You can it, be empowered and you can empower other people for success in their part in the reproduction process. When you reproduce things, you can eliminate the things that are unnecessary for the process. You can reduce the amount of time that it takes to reach success. And you can uh, multiply your impact in your sphere of influence. The power of reproducing is amazing. Just think of all the factories and chain stores and inventions that have helped mankind simply because they have been mass reproduced. Even the computer that we're using right now on the internet is a huge project of massive reproduction that has blessed many people. Well, in the spiritual world, it operates in a similar way. There are spiritual principles that can be reproduced, that can multiply, that can help us save a lot of time and energy in reproducing disciples for the kingdom of God. Let me remind you one more time of the reproducible process that Jesus modeled and that the Holy Spirit empowered and that's found in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If you want a powerful, reproducible process that uh, God the Father designed and God the Son modeled and God the Holy Spirit empowered, it would be the Great Commission right here in these verses. So, in conclusion to today's episode, let's be honest with ourselves. Where do our values lie? How do we prioritize our time, energy, money, resources, relationships? Are we just giving mental assent to the great commission that Jesus gave us? Are we just filling our lives with meaningless activity and repetition? We invite you to consider and to adopt the values that we have here at Disciple Making Ministries. We invite you to become incarnational, biblical, relational, faithful, multiplication-oriented, transformational, and reproducible. We're really glad you joined us today. We'd like to get to know you better. We'd also like to find out uh, where you're from, and we'd like to answer any questions that you might have. So if you have any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or future guests, if you'd like to register for a discipleship seminar, or if you would like to download our discipleship curriculum, or to sponsor our ministry or place an advertisement in our show, if you'd like to partner with us in finishing the disciple-making movement that Jesus started, then visit our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. We'd also appreciate you spreading the word about our ministry and leaving any possible positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.